I'm Jay Kunzo. And for a while now, I've worked as a writer, a podcaster, a producer, almost uh, an artist in business. And mainly, I've been called a content marketer. And although it's been a great gig, I gotta be honest, for most of it, I felt like a pretender or even an outsider. And lately, I felt like I'm keeping a secret inside, a secret that I think you are also keeping quiet about. And I think it's actually time that we start being loud about it instead. So here goes. The reason lots of us got into this job, the reason we do what we do, is that we like to create things. That's it. We like to create great work. So maybe you wanted to dream up a big new idea for a TV show, or just write some clever copy that you're proud of. Or maybe you wanted to build a blog or a podcast that ends up with millions of raving fans. Or perhaps you wanted to make an award-winning video that moves people emotionally. Whatever the case, whatever the medium, you wanted to be truly creative. But somehow you found yourself churning out more stuff. It feels hollow and it doesn't match your creative taste or your care for your craft. In the end, you feel like a cog in a marketing machine. Somewhere along the way, being creative turned into simply creating. I feel your pain. So while most of the industry covers content like it's some kind of container to be printed over and over again in a factory, on this show, we're after what's inside, the story, the style, the substance. You can call it that, that sweet, creamy center that audiences actually crave and that we're out to perfect as writers, designers, podcasters, producers of, of any kind. And as we'll learn together on the show, some of the most successful creators in the world actually don't think of themselves as creative. They don't believe they possess any kind of innate ability. Instead, they just strive to do more, more often with the skills that they have. They also don't see themselves as experts. Instead, they consider themselves students and lifelong students at that. They put in the work, they show up every day. And their work is something that we all do too, being creative, producing things, and having good taste while we do that. So this is a show dedicated to you, people in the business world who are bothered by suck, people who think long-term instead of short-term and who want to do the hard thing despite an internet full of shortcut culture, people who are motivated by and care deeply for their craft, the craft of creating great content, people who at the same time still scale that craft into something like a meaningful career, business, or project. People like you who aspire to do things that others in business would simply call unthinkable. Welcome to the first episode of Unthinkable. Every week, launching on Monday morning, we'll unpack one big idea behind our work. And my hope is that finally, mercifully, those of us in marketing who just want to create great things can actually have a place to direct that desire a place to point to and say, they get me. So leave the shortcuts and the tips and tricks and the hacks to the other guys. There's plenty of that going around. I know you know that. This one, this show goes out to you, my fellow crazies, who rather than read about all that crap are probably just spending hours upon hours making a project like 3% better because you know it freaking matters. Welcome all of you who find unique practices instead of stressing out over finding some kind of best practice. You, my fellow craft-driven creators, are striving for a career worth having. Welcome 
to your show. And speaking of career, I'll never forget the most horrifying conversation of my marketing career. It started when I saw my employer at the time tweet one of our projects that I hadn't seen before. I clicked the link and I was taken to the landing page where you could download it. The headline of the page read, the ultimate collection of social media graphics. But when I opened it, the collection was small. And worse, the design was awful and the copy was riddled with errors. And although the headline of that landing page had dubbed it the ultimate collection for all of social media, it was clear the graphics were only formatted for one social network, Facebook. Seriously? Naturally, I explained this to a teammate, let's call her Molly. She actually helped me plan our editorial calendar each month. And I said to her, hey, Molly, why don't I take a week and I'll update this project. I know I can make it better. And quite honestly, I think anybody listening to the show could make it better just by spending any time at all on it. Um, wait, she can't be about to object to that, can she? I mean, this project was truly terrible. It felt like we were lying to our audience on that landing page. What she said next and what we did as a result later in the show. This episode is supported by Right Side Shirts, an organization helping kids fully realize their creative potential. Right Side sells apparel that's been designed by kids who submit their art to get it turned into shirts and phone cases and even watches. And all profits help fund art programs in need. Right Side's online store features works like The Dashing Giraffe, drawn by Caroline, a student from Redwood City, California, and Worldscape, a stunning design with the earth surrounded by famous buildings from Kevin, a sixth grader from West Roxbury, Mass. Other designs include an abstract painting by Angelo called the Thingamajigger, and the rainbow phrase, Be Unique, written under a zebra with a unicorn horn, that one's by Katie, and there's even a design called the Zombie Donut from Claudia, probably my new favorite. So, help empower kids, promote creativity, and fund art programs in need, go to rightsideshirts.org. When it comes to creating things in business, so much of the tension and debate centers on one question, quality or quantity? Do you produce a few great things or a lot of them? Do you write that one great essay a month, produce those two stellar podcast episodes, those three beautiful graphics, or do you operationalize and systematize and all those negativizes the passion that got you into this? Or more accurately, do you give in as an individual to all the pressures around you from all these different sources to do more and more and more until it just rings hollow? Quality or quantity? We've been told these are opposites, but are they? I went to find some people who could clear this up for us. So I walked to a place about 10 minutes from where I live, arguably the highest concentration of smart people on the planet Harvard University. Okay, on Harvard's campus, gonna see if we can find some smart people to answer some questions for me. Let's see what we can find here. Play a game of opposites. Um, excuse me, do you guys wanna be on a radio show? Uh, it's 60 second, easiest question you've ever been asked in your life. Oh no. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Super easy. Like okay. literally super easy. I feel like um, I'm gonna be on Jimmy Kimmel looking like an idiot. So I'm Jay. I'm Laurel. I'm Kim. I want to play a game of opposites. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a word, and you just give me the opposite. Like, literally no trick questions at all. Okay? So, yes. So what is the opposite of cold? Hot. Warm. Yeah. What is the opposite of in? Out. What is the opposite of left? 
right. She's hard. <laughs> what, what is the opposite of short? Tall. Okay, what is what is the opposite of quality? Not quality. <laughs> yeah. Um, poor. I guess like okay. poor. poor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what's your name? My name's Mike. Mike, can I ask you three opposite questions? Sure. Okay, what's the opposite of up? Down. What's the opposite of hard? Soft. What's the opposite of quality? Shitty. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Man, everyone's in a hurry. It's too cold. Don't do. Don't try to go out on the street in New England in the winter. You're how long? All right. I don't want to hold them up. So how no, long? No, no, it's yeah, right, Literally, ahead. this will be about a 25 second thing. No, it's fine. Is that okay? Go ahead. Okay, cool. And go. go. Okay. What's your, what's your name? My name is TJ. So I want to ask you four different opposites. Okay. And you just give me the correct response in your head. Okay. Okay. What is the opposite of left? Right. What is the opposite of fast? Slow. What is the opposite of up? Down. What is the opposite of quality? Rushed. Interesting. Why rushed? Because you don't get to think it through all the time. Huh? And I get yelled at a lot for that. So <laughs> I figure I'm going to use some personal experience on this one. Awesome. Okay, cool. <laughs> that guy was awesome. He had bright green hair. And he walked away and he, touched, he said his friend said he did good. And he goes, no, I did well. Superman does good. I did well. That guy knows his words. So what's your name? Leon. Leon? Okay. What is the opposite of left? Right. What is the opposite of up? Down. What is the opposite of smooth? Rough. What is the opposite of quality? Lack of quality. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. What's your name? Amanda. Amanda. Nice to meet you. Uh, what is the opposite of fast? Slow. What is the opposite of... Oh, I'm running out. I'm doing these all afternoon. I'm like running out. What is the opposite of uh, hot? Cold. What is the opposite of quality? Poor. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. Quality and quantity. Are they opposites? According to the marketing world, they are. According to the real world, uh, it turns out not so much. In our echo chamber, everyone wants to pit well-made, craft-driven creative work against the need to do a lot. But creating something well and creating something often are not opposing ideas. This is the case in theory based on the actual definitions of the words and also some friendly people at Harvard who apparently aren't scared off by a random guy approaching them with a microphone. But quality and quantity are also not opposites in practice. And while I understand why it's harder to create a high volume of things, all of which are also well done, it can be done. It is being done. So I found someone who's doing it. Is quality or quantity a choice that a journalist can make? No. This is Dennis Cohane, a journalist who covers the tech industry. You can't decide if it's going to be quality or quantity because uh, um, you have to do both all the time. You have to. So like... If you're good at what you do, like quality is built into what you 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 do. Like it's like a hustle, right? It's like you know you're playing basketball. You don't go out there and like you may have a crappy day playing basketball. You may suck, um, but you're trying you're trying hard. So when you hear people debate, oh, should you do quality or quantity? What do you really hear behind that debate? Uh, what is it signaling about the person who's arguing this? They don't have an idea of how creativity works, maybe. As a writer, Dennis has to keep his creative juices flowing at all times. He needs to do a lot of work. And it all needs to be very high quality. 
both for the publications where he writes and as a part-time freelancer now who helps write for startups for his clients too. Um, right, let's do this quick call. Uh, good old Zach done. Hey, man. Hey, what's up? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. How's life over in uh, the uh, downtown crossing? Must be beautiful. It's always beautiful when it's cloudy out. It's extra, it's extra gray on days like today. Dennis spends a couple hours each day talking to clients or talking to sources, depending on the piece he's working on. When I met with him, he was calling the founder of a local startup that he'd been helping get press coverage and write blog content. Specifically, he had to finalize the details of a few interviews that they'd scheduled together with larger startups. The interviews were part of a blog series that were profiling creative office spaces in Boston-based companies. Is there a point person there that I can talk to to, to build? Do, do we want to include them in? Yes. Okay. I can, we're going to talk. Can I see to the head of facilities? Yeah. Charles. He's great. This freelance stuff is new to Dennis. He recently left national tech publication Pando Daily, where he wrote about companies like Snapchat and Facebook and Uber. His career trajectory is a remarkable one. Just a few years ago, he was a teacher who was growing increasingly unhappy. He took an unpaid job at a local tech blog as a result, which was run by a recruitment firm, and the blog was called VentureFizz. He was supposed to syndicate pre-existing blog posts from the tech community in Boston and do the periodic fluff piece on a Boston executive. But instead, Dennis took to the street, trying to scoop other local tech publications for news, including going after the Boston Globe. And the Globe took notice. They actually hired him. And there, he helped launch their tech-focused digital property, Beta Boston. Yeah, so my busiest time at Journalist was, was with the Boston Globe. We had just launched Beta Boston. Um, it was basically, for a period of time, it was two of us who were doing the workload of Beta Boston. Um, and at the time, we were, both of us were prob- probably publishing like two to three quality pieces a day. Um, some days would be more. I think my busiest day, I think one day I went like, you know, it's one of those things where you, I tend to get into the zone where like, you know, it, it's, you have all this stuff builds up that you need to get done. And then um, you, uh, you just spend an entire day doing it. Uh, I think I woke up at like 5.30 one morning, started working and then finished at like one o'clock the night, that night, like, and I'd written like 10 or 11 articles in that, that day. Hold on, hold on just one second here. Did you catch that? 10 or 11 articles in one day. That's what he just said. And that's after weeks of writing two to three per day as his minimum. You'd think that he'd be ready for a break, right? In addition to that, by the way, all of those articles had to carry the banner of the Boston Globe, a prestigious legacy publication which has strict editorial guidelines and a big brand to uphold. Not to mention... Dennis was specifically tasked with helping Beta Boston get off the ground successfully. He's basically building a startup while doing all of those things. Not much room for skimping on either quality or quantity in that scenario. Now, as a freelancer, Dennis can establish his own pace, but he hasn't slowed down much. It's just what he knows. It's what he's used to. It's what he's gotten good at doing, this idea of lots of pieces, all of which are high quality. Dennis wrapped up the call I was shadowing. Uh, I think we're, that's pretty good coverage of everything we need to chat about. In between these phone calls and coffee meetings, Dennis writes, researches new pieces, pitches them to various media outlets, and writes some more. He occasionally moderates panels at local tech conferences to boot. Then, by the way, there's social media and especially Twitter. 
He has to not only read that regularly to keep up with the breakneck speed of tech news, but he uses Twitter to help his pieces spread and monitor what his clients are doing. All right. All right. It's good to chat. Happy Friday. Um, let's, make it, let's make the magic happen. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I'll talk to you. When I was a journalist, I would always try to see if I had a connection with someone. I was talking to if I had time. That's the time. Here's the quality. Here's your quality and quantity question, right? I think interviewing um, is an art uh, in terms of, of if, you're, if you have to create some piece of content based on like a one-time interaction with somebody, um, you better figure out, a, you better be good at getting, you know, as much real out of it as you can. Here's the part that would make plenty of folks in marketing blush. This process of interviewing people, building rapport, asking the right questions, teasing out as much real as possible, and following interesting and unexpected turns in the conversation, all of that was condensed into a 10 to 15 minute call for Dennis. Not the normal half hour or hour long blocks that the business world seems so keen on scheduling, not the scrolling list of questions that you email a subject for your blog. I've been there. But Dennis's process is short, sweet, to the point. Why? Well, you guessed it. He has to do a lot of these interviews. And then he has to get back to doing a lot of writing. Yeah, so I'd say like on a day where I wrote two stories, um, I'd wake up. Um, I'd already, pre- like, so I'd already conducted interviews. So like, that wouldn't always be the case if there was something like breaking. But most of the time, like, I knew what I wanted to write the next day. I had two stories set up. I made it, might have already been working on them. I definitely had notes. Uh, maybe I didn't. Um, maybe I'll go listen to my like my interview, uh, uh, the recording of it, and rewrite it. Um, and as I re- like after rewriting it, then I'll go back and write the story. Sometimes it would be quick, and sometimes it would be easy because I'd already know what I'd want. I'd, like after doing the interview, I know okay, this is what this here's the story. And then once I went back in and and reheard, uh, you know, or rewrote the interview or or got into my notes and and turned it into a story, I, I knew what I wanted to go. But sometimes. Um, I didn't, and it would take longer to kind of pull out the, the you know, what matters. Um, and that would probably, like, take, like, two hours, two to three hours with editing. Um, uh, and I suck at editing because um, I don't like to, like, I don't like to edit my own stuff, but I like to edit other people's stuff. I lo- love editing other people's stuff. I have fun. I have fun. People probably hate me when I do it because I change it completely. Um, but uh, I, I hate editing my own stuff. That right there was pretty revealing, I think. The things that help journalists produce a high volume at the high quality bar set by their editors, it's not like they're always easy, even for the most skilled journalists. Procrastination is an enormous factor in my life. It always has been. He draws a comparison between his writing and his housework from this past holiday season. I think what it is, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I haven't done shit in a while. Like, I've done nothing. Uh, Or I have all the stuff that I need to get done that I haven't done that's just hanging out there and it's driving me nuts. Um, let me spend one more day doing absolutely nothing. The, like, so at New Year's Day, I did probably the least amount I've ever done in my life. Um, you know, the kids were bouncing around. We were doing, we were hanging out doing a little. My in-laws were there. They were cooking. They cooked all the meals. There was football on TV. I had, you know, just sat there, had a couple beers, and, and I was happy. But I did nothing. The next day, I woke up early, and then I worked all day and, like, completely gutted my basement and got it, like, not only gutted, but put back together. Um, better than it ever had been. And like sh- people were, you know, it was, it created this sense of shock and awe, like, you know, impressing people where the day before, I don't know if they were like just disgusted by me, uh, 
Um, but it was like just that sense like, okay, yesterday I did nothing. Now I'm just going to do everything. today. And that's just part of creating things for a living. Some days you feel it. Some days you sit on the couch and drink beer. But Dennis, as a journalist, still knows one thing. No matter how good or bad you feel, no matter if you're pressed for time or have all day to do one thing really, really well, you always, always need to find a way to stand out. Like, how do you differentiate yourself? That's what, like, journalism is, right? Uh, or that's what writing is, too. Uh, like, how, do people, how are people going to pay attention to you? Um, it's, you do something different. So for me, um, like, I want to differentiate myself by, like, ha reporting news, but also having, like, something that nobody else would have, which is, like, wh like why? What's the important? Like, try to delve into, like, why this is actually important. Like, why anyone should care that, like, a, biz a company raises a million dollars. And, and th that's hard to do. So, like, of those stories, like, per week, uh, let's say there's ten stories written per week. Seven of them, six or seven, might be like reported news. Then there would be like three or four that are like maybe a profile of a founder, which is like their, you know, their whole life. Like you want to tell the story of this person or this company because they're compelling. Like they're trying to change the world. Like that's what you, that's that's the good stuff you want to find. So. You've heard Dennis use a number of phrases that I just want to highlight because I think they're so important. He talked about finding the real in his interviews, working hard to differentiate yourself because that's what journalism is. And in the process of doing so, Dennis wants the audience to know why something matters, not just what the story is. All of these ideas are important, and a lot of them require time to find and tease out. A lot of these ideas require caring. You have to really want to produce something good in the world. But if you're sitting there saying, that's all well and good, but I have a business to grow. I have responsibilities. I have pressure put on me. I have to publish and keep going. Well, you're actually more like a journalist than you might realize. So you, you spend two or three hours writing a story and then you know you have another, like you have this like ticking clock in your head where there's another story that needs to be written as soon as you're done with this one. And like, you need to just move on. Like you don't care at some point. You're like, okay, someone else is gonna look at this. Uh, um, and that's bad, that's a bad writing habit. Awful, awful, awful. And this process of editing your work, this momentary pause you feel when every nerve in your body is urging you to move forward. Yeah, it's frustrating. You could spend, it's one thing where you spend like hours, like, you know, you spend more time than you ever did writing something and making sure it's perfect. And then you send it to the editor and, he's, and he just tears it apart. You know, you maybe like, and then you might write something in like 25 minutes that goes through without even, you know, without a, a note on it, like a, a single like red mark on, on, the, on the piece. So why do it? I mean, why slog through all this tiresome day in, day out process? You're tired, you're stressed, you're frustrated, right? Why care about doing this seemingly monumental task of balancing both quality and quantity? If it's this hard, even for a professional writer like Dennis, a journalist, why do it? It's you. Like when you write something, you're putting like it's a piece of you you're putting out there. Um, that's why people, not everyone can write. Like it's, there's a fear factor to it. There's a, like you have to be a risk taker to some degree to be a writer. There's a part of you in everything 
that you're publishing and and you know it's like it's like the first date like you don't want you know if somebody's reading something that you wrote uh for the fir- like your stuff for the first time you don't want them to be you know you're not going to show up to a first date in a pair of sweatpants like and not having taken a shower um that's how you are as a writer too like Sometimes you show up on the first date, the thing you're writing, the thing you're creating, and you're putting out there, you don't know that it could be better or that if you spent more time, like, or you should be doing better. I think that's um, something you learn over time as a writer and as a person, right? It's like when you create something, you put it out there, people are going to judge it and judge you, and um, you want it to be as best as it can be. But being a journalist and working for an organization, you have, like, a, a pit crew. Like, you have editors and and. And people who are going to go, like, maybe change the title of something you're doing. or So it's like almost as if you're going on that first date uh, and, like, before you walk out the door, you have a, a team, you know, a Kim Kardashian-esque team of, like, uh, you know. Stylists. Uh, stylists who are just like, oh, no, 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 like, wrong shoes, your socks don't, don't match your belt. Uh, let's change your hair. You get a little bit, like, you have, you know, uh, you have a, one strange hair that's sticking out. Let's take care of that. Um, so it's like setting, you know, it puts you out there in the world better than, like, it makes you better than you are. So like people like love or hate editors, like, um, you know, it's, it's a personal thing most of the time, like your relationship with an editor. Uh, but I love when people edit my stuff and it's, it's helping you. I love people to help me. I seek out help from other people, uh, maybe too, too much, like, <laughs> like probably way too much, but I like it because I think it makes me a better person. Um, and with writing, like editing makes me a better writer. When you first learned how much you had to put out the door, what was your first reaction to that? It was, can I do this? Can I do it? Like, can I get it done? How do you go from, can I do this to, I now know I can do this? You just have to do it. Like, you just have to do it. Like, it's this idea like, oh, wow, like I'm working as, you know, it's like you wake up one day and you're like a writer, right? People are paying you to write or, or whatever. Like, you still think you suck. Like I said before, like, you still think you suck. Like, you don't think you're a very good writer, but there's something you do that actually works. And you just have to not even think about it. You just do it, right? Like, you've done, you've done it before. Like, however you got here, you've, you have done it. You've been able to create stuff and do it in a timely manner. And um, maybe, like, you, you know, even though it's scary, like, oh, you have to get this done today. And, like, doing it with quality is kind of a scary thing. You still, you still do it. So I asked Dennis point blank, how do you hold your head up and be proud of your work at the end of the day? I think because you're creating, like you're being creative. I think the, 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 like for you, the KPI, like, right, isn't how many stories you did or how, like how many stories were great. It's the fact that you did it. Like you created, you, like you were, people would never, you'll never get, like no one will ever judge you on that. And, and you'll never get paid for that feeling, but it's the, you feel good about having done it, about being creative, about, um, adding something, like adding in, also like we said before, like putting yourself out there, like there's a there's a real lot of um, satisfaction that comes, I think, um, and happiness from like having taken a risk to put yourself out there, right? Whether it's good or not, like you're gonna make a mistake, like yes, it sucks to fail, um, it doesn't feel good to fail, um, but sometimes when you put yourself out there and you fail, you learn a lot too. The, the aspect of putting yourself out there, that, that creative yearning and then having, a, having done it, like you feel a sense of accomplishment, I think. And, and, um, that's what it's all about. Unlike Dennis, I know that many of us don't have the luxury of having a team of editors. 
We might work for brands or for clients who view this idea of quantity and quality as a choice we can actually make. And too often, I know, the choice defaults to quantity and we feel less fulfilled than we should. But Dennis made me realize that if all we wanna do is meaningful work in our careers, it has to come from ourselves. It won't be handed to us. Above all, the emotion I got from Dennis when we spoke was this sense of pride that he had in his work. And with that pride in hand, he went out to do what most people would consider an unthinkable task, write a ton of pieces and care deeply for the craft and the quality at the same time. That pride, by the way, is what caused him to stare down a massive sea of work and just dive in. Now, think back to that horrifying discussion I mentioned at the top of the show. I was hoping to improve an old project at a past employer, the ultimate collection of social media graphics, but my colleague Molly was hesitant despite how bad the project really was. Here's how that conversation unfolded. Molly pointed to the data, which showed that the project was getting lots of traffic and lots of downloads, but the content itself wasn't what was doing that good work, right? I mean, think about it. It was the landing page on our site that received the traffic and convinced you to download. And in my head, in my mind's eye, I saw that landing page sitting in between Molly and what she cared about and me and what I cared about and what I felt pride in, like Dennis felt pride in his work, the creative, the substance, the entire experience for our audience. I saw that landing page moving in between us as we spoke, turning slowly until it stood upright, dividing us like a thin fence, just one pixel wide, but it might as well have been a mile. And right then I realized there's such a fine line between creating and being truly creative. So my challenge to you, if you wanna be truly creative, is to find some time this week to harness your pride in your work, just like Dennis, just like I wanted to do with Molly. Find a small pocket of time when you normally unhook your brain and try instead to improve a recent project by just a little bit. That's all I'd ask, guys. Just put in a few minutes of extra effort to improve something because you care a lot, and I know you do. So whether you're commuting in the subway, walking your dog, washing the dishes, or watching the game, just carve out five of those minutes to think deeply about a project, or maybe draft something up that potentially could be useful. Or maybe you're going to put the last layer of polish on the piece before shipping it. Whatever it is, just point that pride that I know you have in your work at that small pocket of time. It's just one small but manageable step on the road to doing meaningful work every day. Oh, uh, one more thing. What is the opposite of smooth? Rough. What is the opposite of quality? Hmm. Uh, huh. That's uh, hard. Uh, quantity. Not really. <laughs> not re not really? Why not really? Quantity, quality, because it's like, I mean, they, they, they go together. I don't know if it's really a direct opposite. So what's the opposite of quality? <sighs> oh, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm stumped. That was Matt, a recent Harvard grad. What does he mean by quality and quantity go together? Matt's thinking about these two things as they really are. They're both spectrums both ranges used to place something in your mind. How quality is it? How much quantity of it is there? 
It could be high quality or low quality, high quantity or low quantity. These are entirely separate sliders that you can control, or maybe knobs that you can spin. You can put either to one extreme or the other, or anywhere in the middle. And you can do that completely independently from the other. This is about you tweaking things ever so finely in your work, not yanking one giant switch up or down to quality or quantity. It's not on or off. It's about finely tuning your work every single day with every single project and every tiny little decision that you make along the way to creating something truly great. That's unthinkable. So, how do you finally tune your creativity? And what do you even call someone who's in total control of doing just that? That's next week on the show. Unthinkable is written and hosted by me, Jay Akunzo. This episode was produced by Chris Higgins. Our theme music is by Sir Tyler Litwin. Thank you to Right Side Shirts for supporting the first episode of Unthinkable. Their t-shirts, phone cases, and watches are all designed by kids between first and eighth grade. So go help support local art programs in need and make sure more kids are given the chance to be truly creative in their lives. Go to rightsideshirts.org. If you like the show, the first ever episode of the show, or if you have any ways I could improve, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. Every single one will lead to hours of me agonizing over the next episode, which, by the way, is probably a good thing. You can also be the first to get each episode every week it launches by subscribing on our site. Go to unthinkable.fm. I also share all kinds of related content and exclusive behind-the-scenes coverage and other goodies. That's unthinkable.fm. So thank you for listening to the first episode of Unthinkable. So much more to come, guys. I can't wait. Talk to you next week.